I'm James Milley. And I'm Alex Muto. And this is The Artist Business Plan. Your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs hosted by Superfine Art Fair. What's going on, business artists? We are back here with the Artist Business Plan presented by Superfine Art Fair. We are fast on the heels of a busy art fair season. We're ready to end this hiatus and get Artist Business Plan started again with a bang. We are here today with Alex West. Alex is an Atlanta native, a software entrepreneur who's focused on using technology as a tool to deliver business solutions. He graduated from the Georgia Institute of Technology in 2008 with a major in computational media. In 2012, Alex founded ArtCloud, a a software as a service powered art marketplace. Over the past decade, ArtCloud has become a leading provider of software for the art world. ArtCloud is also named one of the top 40 most innovative companies in Georgia by the Technology Association of Georgia in 2021. While at Georgia Tech, Alex also co-founded Wonderroot, a nonprofit organization with a mission of solving social issues through art. Alex lives in Buckhead, Georgia, with his wife, Emily West, and two daughters, Maisie and Millie, eight and six. Thank you for joining us, Alex. Glad to have you here. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure. And uh, and I mentioned to Alex before we got started, everyone listening out there, uh, we have just had four back-to-back fairs up and down the East and West Coast. So we had this program on a bit of a hiatus. We are still the number one artist business program on the interwebs. Uh, and we're happy to be back here. We're really excited to get going again. This is my first interview in a while. So if it feels a little weird, it's probably me. You can blame me on it. Um, I appreciate the, uh, the deflection. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, so, Alex, we always start with a question just to help get to know you a little better and introduce you to our listeners. Uh, and that is, what is your earliest memory of art? Um, I think my earliest memory of art is one where I was in lower school. I uh, took school pretty seriously as a kid and I had failed like a math test or a spelling test or something. And I remember my art teacher like seeing me crying and she just like sat with me on the curb of the parking lot. And I just like kind of explained to me like it didn't really matter. And I remember like looking at her as like, oh my God, she's got so much fucking, so much wisdom. And, um, and I think like that really kind of started to kind of hike, uh, heighten my senses around artists and, and art teachers and, and art history. And um, I really started to pay more attention to it as a, as kind of a way to start thinking about life or building rules around life. And it was, it was super impressive. And then just growing up and loving music and, and really kind of confiding in music. And in uh, college, I started studying film and, and then later on a little bit more exposure to just, you know, traditional visual art. I love it. And I love that kind of the story of, you know, art class and then the teacher being like, you know, it doesn't really matter. And obviously we all take art very seriously, but there's also this freedom in art to express yourself and to make mistakes. And that's something that both in business and in art is so important, like, you know, failing forwards and understanding that like a mistake isn't a bad thing. It's just a way of learning and growing and moving forward. So thank you for sharing that story, Alex. So Alex, we talk a lot about business 101 for artists and the importance of understanding art as a business, not just as a hobby. And we want to explore with you what that next step is, that business 102 course, if you will. And that starts with the idea of client segmentation. Uh, Can you talk to our listeners a little bit about why segmenting your clients is important, what it is, why it's critical for artists to understand this? Yeah, I think... um 
climb segmentation is like a great 102 or kind of a great next step to start thinking about or or analyzing as you as you build any business and and I think that you know art uh, artists should should really think about their uh, business as a, as just a normal business they just happen to be selling art and so when you start thinking about client segmentation or the ability to kind of uh, personalize or or segment out different uh, customers or contacts from your contact list I think what it enables you to do is is personalize a lot of the communication to them. So, you know, you might not uh, send your collectors the same email newsletter that you would send uh, your, you know, just general audience or the same newsletter you might send your uh, curators or press. And so I think being able to segment out your contact list and, and send personalized communication, whether it be newsletters or kind of end of the year um, updates, uh, I think is, is a really important I guess, facet to any art business. So Alex, thanks for sharing that. Uh, that, you know, it really hits home with us as an art fair, but something we talk to our artists a lot about, as, even in the fair, as they're gathering emails uh, from folks who might be interested in their art to kind of think about that as, you know, who are the folks who really want to buy in the near future? They just haven't made a decision yet. Who are the folks who just like you and they want to keep up with you over time? And being able to segment those out and have little systems whether it's like this very analog system of like a little notation on your sign-in sheet or whether it's something really, uh, you know, really technologically deep and effective, like using MailChimp um, tags and, and different lists and segments to be able to be talking to maybe one group more one-on-one, your collectors, and then maybe having a different kind of messaging going out to a broader group. And then also maybe if you're speaking to other folks in the industry, art fair directors, curators, gallerists, that you have a different kind of approach to speaking to them. So being able to segment the audience first and foremost helps you actually makes it easier for you to talk to each audience. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah, for sure. And then if you, you, know, you could even take it farther, right? Like on the other side, like kind of other side of the funnel, like as you start looking, you know, retroactively at your sales for a year, for example, you can say, okay, where do my sales come from? Did they come from the website? Did they come from participating in an art fair? Did they come from, you know, Instagram ads and things like that? And so you can start figuring out, okay, do I, should I put more or less energy into each of these you know, kind of customer generating streams? Yeah, and that's huge. And I, and I think a lot of artists, uh, you know, they get into this kind of pattern of just like doing, doing, doing. And it's like, okay, I got this opportunity, this opportunity, this thing, that thing. And they don't actually take that time to stop and be like to evaluate and say, okay, where are my sales? Where are my leads coming from? And more often than not, not like, you know, shameless plug here, but more often than not, we hear from an artist that, you know, they did three or four super fine fairs in a year. And they're like, that actually accounted for 60% or 70% of my annual sales. And that may not be the same for every artist. Some artists are doing incredibly well with Instagram ads, with uh, personal connections, wherever it may be. But the point is taking inventory and stock of that so that you can translate that into a logical decision for where you're going to put your energy. Because that's in, in time, which is what we have the least of to work with. So yeah, really for sure. No for sure. So important. Um, so I want to move on to analytics, uh, which is something, you know, we're listening to an art podcast. So people might be like analytics, right? A lot for of artists sure. struggle with that. Yeah. Cause there's, there's so many things that can change when you're looking over marketing data, digital uh, data, looking over, you know, what you're, what's on your website. And it can just be daunting, uh, especially for artists to see the sheer amount of numbers that could be presented. How, often should an artist be looking at their data and what are a couple key things they should look for? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I think you're right. Uh, e- even, uh, you know, 
folks that go to business school or or engineering school like i mean no, no matter who you are there's always some intimidating factor about analytics because you know it's always a signal noise issue of you know is more data better um and so i think that most artists are operating a fairly small unique kind of niche business and when you look at like the popular analytics platforms like google analytics or kiss metrics or full story you know, these are the same tools that, you know, Nike.com uses. And so it's really easy to to look at those for a second and be like, holy crap, this is, you know, way overkill or, or so much more than I want or need. And so I think that as artists, but I still think analytics are incredibly important. So uh, we always challenge our artists to, to kind of take a step back to think about what matters to them and, and how do they measure the success of that. And then start looking for those data points. And even if it's as simple as just writing it down on your own Excel spreadsheet or your own notepad, uh, you know, probably probably monthly is a pretty good stat. But just you know, start by thinking, um, you know, what what do I want to optimize for? Is it revenue? Is it number of sales? Is it the number of inquiries I'm getting? And if you can start writing down that one metric, um, you know, within a month or so, you're going to start getting a sense of okay, how many times is this truly happening? You'll start building your intuition. And then you can start finding patterns of, you know, where do those things come from? What what caused this event to happen? What's ha- what causes it to happen more frequently? Um, and once you start doing that, you start, you're going to start building a real data-driven intuition. And you can start building your own kind of custom analytics uh, framework around kind of those metrics. And instead of trying to go top down where you're, you know, sign up for Google Analytics and, you know, just get overwhelmed by a bunch of noise. Um, you know, if you start the other way, bottom up, you're going to have a much higher frequency of, of signal um, versus like the noise ratio. I, I love what you're saying here, Alex, and I want to kind of uh, paraphrase it a little bit for our listeners out there. And if, if I get anything wrong, let me know. But um, what, what I like about this approach is that you were taking, you know, a single metric and then maybe adding another metric and looking at those over time, like picking something that you really care about, like new collectors or like it could be like visits to your website, but that you're not overwhelming yourself with like the sheer availability of data and metrics out there that could be like leveled upon you. You're looking at a few key things like what we might call in uh, in marketing or business K, uh, KPI, key performance indicators, but you're deciding what those are for you. And then you're looking at those each month and seeing how they change, building your own analytics and data profile rather than again like just getting these like overwhelming reports uh you're actually just keying in is that is that kind of what you're saying here alex yeah absolutely and one thing i'd I'd add to it a pitfall that we see a lot is that you know if you pick two or three kpis or analytic old data points that you want to track um, a lot of times people will put something like revenue right i want to make you know x x number of dollars per month and the other thing to remember is that every metric is either a lead metric or a lag metric. And what I mean by that is that uh, lagging performance indicators or, or lagging metrics are oftentimes the result of a lot of other lead metrics. So if you want to you know, optimize for $40,000 in sales per month, uh, you might need $80,000 of inquiries per month. And to mm-hmm. get $80,000 of inquiries per month at an average price point of you know five $5,000, you might need you know, to determine that you need 3000 visits to your website. And, and so the, the first one is like, if, if you pick a lag metric as your first metric, realize that it's going to take time for that to happen, especially if you're kind of getting your marketing going on day one. So maybe also go up funnel a little bit just so that you have some uh, 
analytic that you can control because because once you get you know taking it one more step further from that the top of funnel that we just got to a second ago of, you know visits to your website maybe you realize that some action that you can take that you can control like uh you know the number of email newsletters you do per month or the number of instagram posts you make um those are things that you can control and that you know you can wake up one morning and, and actively move the other ones are lag metrics that you know you that are results of your actions and so I'd, I'd encourage people to go up on enough that they get to one lead metric that they can control. But because by doing that, you'll start uh, being able to connect it and, and have a little bit of control over your lag metrics. I, I love the way you put that. And I've actually never heard uh, the phrase lag metrics. So I'm going to write it down myself as well, but it's something that we've really learned with Superfine too. Um, I, I call what you're calling a lead metric. I call it intermediate KPI. It's something that you can control versus like, and I would go so far as to say that it is pretty difficult when you just set a money goal, a revenue goal to just like connect your actions to the revenue. Um, it's more like, think about if you're like a kid mowing lawns, it's like, I want to make like a hundred dollars a week. I'm getting $10 per lawn. Maybe I'm using 1960 numbers here, but you know, correct me. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you read a newspaper in the past 18 months? Yeah, exactly. So inflation notwithstanding. So uh, for yeah. simplicity's sake, let's say like, you know, you want to make $100 a week. It, it can be hard to just like equate your actions to $100. But if you say, okay, I want to mow 10 lawns and to mow 10 lawns, I've got to talk to 20 people about that. And 10 of them are going to take my services because that's been like what I've seen in the past. So then you have something you can control. You can decide walking around talking to 20 people. So that's kind of, again, like, you know, rephrasing it another time, but that's, that's what I think you're saying, Alex, and I love it because we're talking about kind of bring, going up funnel to the items and the things and the, and the actions that we actually have complete and total control over and seeing those actions have reactions further down the funnel, which ends with our revenue or even beyond our revenue, maybe our lifestyle or happiness or another goal. But, um, but yeah, definitely. I love that. For idea sure. Just using those, those up funnel metrics. Yeah, one cool thing about I guess your example or, or illustration of the, the kind of mo the kid mowing the lawn uh, example is uh, it also the the more kind of lead metrics or the more you go up funnel, um, you start getting these bite sized pieces of action. You know, it's really easy to to pick like I want to make a hundred dollars a week mowing lawns, and it's like whoa, holy crap, that's a ton of different things to do, and then you kind of have that paralyzing syndrome where you can't even get started. And so if it's okay, all I need to do is mow ten lawns to get a hundred bucks then I can, you know, I need to talk to 10 people or I need to talk to 20 people. And all of a sudden, like actually you have an, it, like the, uh, the action plan emerges at, at art cloud. We talk a lot about emergence and, and we know we're building the right product. If like, if we get pulled in or if the features kind of emerge, uh, we know we're on the right hunt. And if, if we're, if that, if we're not seeing that emergence, then we're, we're typically writing the wrong code or we're, we're thinking about the problem from the wrong angle. Yeah, no, I love that. And and I think that's that's just a really easy way to see, you know, if you're hitting something the wrong way. But again, like taking it away from that overwhelming monetary figure, like how do I get here to again with the lawns example, it's like now I just have to mow two per day, five days per week. That's doable. I can exactly. Cool. So I want to move to our next question, um, which is about art as a vehicle for social change, which is something you know about because you have this nonprofit that you've been working on. So how does an artist deliver a message that relates to social change in a real way that's more than just like a paragraph on their bio? Like how do they make this real, like a, a social change message? Yeah, I, uh, 
I think it's probably one of the hardest things in the world to do. Um, and so I'm probably not, I'm, I'm in no way qualified. I think uh, artists <laughs> are much better qualified to answer it. But for, for me, art that's, that's changed me or, or like kind of um, made an impact on my life or, or how I think about or how I frame um, perspectives typically has like a pattern of, of, you know, some element of shock. So I think, you know, we live in a world that's incredibly distracting and um, just, you know, attention is, is, is probably the, the resource that we are all uh, least wealthy in. And mm-hmm. so any, any piece of art has to have some element to kind of jumpstart you or pull you out of just this, this haze of uh, social media or, um, external stimuli that we're, that we're in. Uh, and so you know, something that's going to just capture your attention for a second to actually break, break that, that frequency and get you to actually thinking about it. And then I think it's like a, just a, a push and pull of, of nurturing out curiosity, but then also guiding that. So kind of like, you know, inspired curiosity is something I, I kind of think about it as, um, that then like lets you build your own, own story around it. So, you know, it's, it's a pretty abstract answer, I guess, but, um, I think it's gotta, it's gotta be, it's got to be great on a lot of different levels, right? It's got to be great on, on a superficial level of beauty, uh, possibly, uh, uh, to, to kind of grab that initial attention. And then it's it's got to be able to grow with you and you've got to be able to grow with it. And, and it's got to be able to give you maybe going back to the, the lead and lag metrics idea, right? Like if, if social change or, or changing your perspective on an idea is a lag metric, uh, you know, it's lead metrics are going to are gonna kind of slowly, you know, in bite-sized chunks, guide you to that, that you know, new perspective, uh, you know, through, through all of its elements that it can have. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Alex. And and I think that that answer has a lot to unpack for artists, you know, it, the work that you're making and you have a social message behind your work, the work itself does need to be good. And wh- whether you're going for beautiful or impactful or whatever, you know, adjective we're using here, it needs to be good, strong work. And the message that you're bringing into it, you need to, it needs to be an authentic message that you feel that really like you're going all in on that message and in my opinion, also as yours, I believe <laughs> like that's how you bring that kind of social change message into artwork um, and make it be, go beyond just like putting a byline and kind of incorporating it in a way that doesn't necessarily feel authentic to you. Um, so I love that. And I think, I yeah. think that's something you know, artists can take to heart. For sure. And, and, and I think, you know, going back a little bit to the emergence idea, I think if, as the deeper you kind of feel these issues or deeper that you feel these perspectives that you want to share, a lot of times that can, that can then become the motivating factor for the work. Right. So, uh, you know, make, making anything isn't easy. And so, you know, the more passionate you are about the subject uh, you know, you can, you can kind of see that come through. Um, and I think when you, when you see that, you know, when you get to that flow state where, where everything's kind of, you know, in flow, that that's when, you know, you're making good work. And, and I think the rest kind of just takes care of itself. I love that. When you get in that flow state, it's when you know you're making good work and then it takes care of itself from there. <laughs> we're going to be we're going to be right back and Alex is going to tell you more about the tools for success as an artist, but first a quick message from our sponsors. Artists, have you ever felt anxious, alone and unsure about the next move in your career? Good news, those days are over. Since 2015, we've spent thousands of hours developing the best art fair model for independent artists just like you who want to take control of your career, build your collector list, and make a real sustainable income from your art. Superfine started with the connection between artists and an eager, empowered, qualified buying audience. So many alternatives didn't provide any real value for the artists who spent their precious time 
hard-earned money and major effort mounting and exhibiting their work without the results to back it up. And that meant that it was time for something new. For seven years, Superfine has focused on breaking down these barriers and creating sustainable economic opportunities for artists to build careers from our fair. To find your place at a Superfine fair, simply visit www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Don't miss the chance to be part of the top business artist community in the world. Oh, and when you mention the artist business plan, you'll receive $150 credit on your booth no matter what size or city you choose. So that's $150 off. Go online to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art to set up your qualification call with James and get started selling your art with Superfine today. Again, that's www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. And we are back here with Alex West on the Artist Business Plan. So Alex, my next question for you is a two-parter. And the first part is, what are the bare minimum requirements to be a successful artist? That's a big one. But in terms of the programs that you need to understand and the processes you need to implement. So let's talk about like programs and processes. What would you say are the bare minimums for an artist to really be successful? Uh, And then can you also speak about the video game analogy that you brought up earlier uh, before we recorded over emails? For sure. So I think, I mean, the first step, just kind of level set and make sure, you know, everyone's kind of thinking from first principles is like, you know, make sure you define success for yourself. Uh, there's a lot of reasons to be an artist. Uh, there's a lot of uh, value that artists can bring. So if, if fiscal success is your goal, uh, I think, you know, clearly defining that if, um, if kind of notoriety or, or you know, uh, publicity is your goal, kind of be clear with yourself, like what success means to you. Don't let, you know, don't let external forces uh, define that success because then you'll, always be chasing something. So I think once you kind of have a really good understanding of uh, what you want success to be, then you can build those metrics that we were talking about earlier, right? So if it's if it's to be fiscally successful or to sustain you or your family, you know, you kind of build that budget of, of what do you want revenue to be? And then you go up, up funnel and you start thinking about, you know, we were talking about earlier, like, you know, if, you partic- if I participate in an art fair, how many more, you know, Instagram follower, followers do I get? And then if I make a post, how many of those posts have a click through to my website? And you can, can build those metrics all the way down to, to revenue. And um, so I think that the, the minimum, uh, I guess, tactics in that metaphor would be like, you need a website, right? Like you need some place to be able to send uh, collectors to so that they can actually interact with your work. Uh, ideally, your website would have a great call to actions on every, you know, inventory uh, detail page. You know, we, we see so many artists that have websites where they just throw up some images and there's no title, there's no medium, there's no price, there's no way to contact the artist other than the contact page. And uh, what happens is if you if you start building, like, if you think like, oh, I'm just going to go check that box and build a website and I'm just going to throw my portfolio up there, then uh, it's it's really easy to forget uh, to be in the shoes of your collectors. And so if you, if you put yourself in your shoes of your collectors and they're going to your website and, um, you know, it loads slow or doesn't load well on their phone or they you know, they find a piece of artwork they're interested in, but there's no easy way to contact you. And if they try to contact you, they've got to download or screenshot that photo and then text it to you. And like, that's all friction. And so, you know, one metaphor we like to think about because we build a ton of websites for artists and galleries we like to think about, you know, putting ourselves in the collector's shoes and thinking like about we're in a video game, right? So if you start at 100% health and you hit the webpage, 
every piece of friction you experience, whether it's the load time, whether it's um, you know the inability to search, whether it's uh, fonts that that aren't legible, you know whatever whatever friction is in between the collector that just hits your website from any random lead or, or source uh, to be able to convert to some sort of uh, metric of success, right? An in, uh, an inquiry, an e-commerce purchase, a newsletter sign up, like those are all some level of conversion. Um, if you can if you can start to analyze what pieces of your website are kind of diminishing the health of your users as they're trying to make it their way through the the video game of of conversion on your website, then it's it's really easy to kind of figure out what are the biggest ones and that helps you to prioritize you know what you need to fix. Do you need to you know fix responsive or do you need to go you know with better load times or do you need to work on more clear call to actions? Um, things like that. Does that make Guys, sense? Guys, you know, that made total sense. Those of you listening out there, you're going to want to press rewind and hear Alex's answer again on this question because coming from someone who runs multiple companies, builds websites, does the similar stuff, this is money advice, very important. It's not just have a website, get online, get on the web. You know, I think that, you know, businesses and artists often think that's the criteria. It's getting that website and then reducing friction and making it as easy as possible for someone who enjoys your work to then take an action, whether that action is to purchase it, whether it's to contact you. I mean, there's decisions you'll make along the way, but ultimately we want to make it easy for them and remove that friction. Remember, people have an infinite number of things they can do with their time, especially now with, you know, with your phone or your computer. You could be on any other site. You could check your email. You pick your kids up from school. There's a million things to do. No one is trying especially hard to get something done online that you need to make it easy for them and you need to make it fun. And like that video game kind of analogy, like they're going through this as almost like a video game. I think this is such brilliant advice. So I highly encourage everyone to go back and listen again on to all of this, but specifically to that question and answer as well. Um, cool. One, you, one more thing I'll add to it. I think, uh, you know, sure. artists, when, when you make a piece of artwork, it, it, it is finished at some point, right? And so I think that artists have uh, an experience that not a lot of us have in the sense that um, our work is always a work in progress, right? Like this podcast is is different and, and hopefully better now than it was six months ago. And in six months, hopefully it will be different and better than it is now. And so remember that your website is a work in progress and that it doesn't have to be a finished piece of artwork on day one. As long as as long as you have a framework and, and are disciplined about making continuous improvements, I think that's the, the biggest thing is just get something out there and then make it better the next day and make it better the next day and make it better the next day. And that's a luxury that you have with technology that you don't have with, you know, a painting in the sense that once it's sold, it's, it's kind of out there and, and you're, you're, you're stuck with it. But remember your website's not, not your, not your actual craft. I love that. I love the idea of keeping an active project that you're continually updating. And I would also go so far as to say, uh, to schedule a weekly, monthly, whatever's best for you, check in on your website, which again, we're talking about is this bare minimum in this day and age for artists to have where you check in on it and say, Hey, am I doing everything the best I can today? And then, you know, what little tweaks can I make? What changes? Where am I maybe losing people? And you may not like, you know, as you launch it or as you update it after hearing this podcast, which I really hope everyone does, uh, you may not have the perfect iteration of it. 
but you know, you'll check in with yourself regularly and then make those updates as you go, because it is this benefit we have with technology that we may not have with a physical structure or a piece of art. Um, I love it, Alex. Thank you so much. Um, this has been an incredible conversation. Um, I want to give our listeners the opportunity to connect with you. What is the best way for them to get involved with art cloud? And also you also mentioned, um, websites for artists, the things you do, what would be the best way for them to find the things that you do and how they could work with you? Yeah. Uh, just visit us on our website, artcloud.com. And, uh, there's a, a for artists page there that walks through our, our management solutions or website builder to sign up for a free trial. Uh, we're offering kind of, uh, webinars, I think weekly or bi-weekly. Um, so yeah, check us out, follow us on Instagram. And, um, if we can do anything to help you build your business, you know, just reach out. Awesome. So artists out there, you can slog through and build your own website and listen to this podcast over and over and make it work. You certainly can do that. You can also check out artcloud.com, see what Alex and his team have going out there. To everyone out there, Alex has been here today with us sharing his amazing perspective with you. And I hope you took notes, but if you didn't, you can always go back, listen to this again on our website at www.superfine.world. And again, to connect with ArtCloud, you can follow the Instagram account at ArtCloud and also visit www.artcloud.com. As always, remember that we are Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. And anytime you're listening to the Artist Business Plan, maybe you're working in your studio, you're driving your car. Well, don't stop when you're driving your car. But if you're listening to the show and you're enjoying it and benefiting from it, we love it when you share us, tag us on Instagram. We always restore you as well. And one thing we really, really, really appreciate is if you can take a moment of your time and write us a review on Apple Podcasts if you're enjoying the show those ratings and reviews are critical in helping other artist entrepreneurs just like yourselves find us and our guests and take advantage of the expertise that we put out in the universe. As always, I want to wrap up this class by sharing a quick and relevant quote with you all. And today that quote is, art is an adventure into an unknown world, which can be explored only by those willing to take risks. And that applies to your art business as well. I added that part. Uh, the quote is from Mark Rothko. Alex, it has been a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for sharing your perspective with our listeners. And for that, we're so grateful to you. Yeah, of course. Thanks so much for having me. It's our pleasure. Everybody else, have an awesome rest of your day. Remember to stay on top of your artist business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan. Hosted by me, Alex Mito. And me, James Milley. Join us each week to hear leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas discuss tips and tricks designed to help you thrive and sell more art. To listen to this episode and all of our past episodes, just visit www.superfine.world and click the Artist Business Plan. And we love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message just to let us know you're listening. Want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Go to www.superfine.world slash sell hyphen your hyphen art. Until next time, keep listening, keep creating, and keep up your artist business plan.